Good morning. Happy New Year to you all. How many of you have kept your New Year's resolutions to date? <laughs> to not making them okay. My New Year's resolution is to uh, this year read through the entire Bible with Nicky Gumbel. Five days in, so far so good. Well, ask me again next month. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe it wasn't a, a New Year's resolution that you made, but it was a, a New Year's prayer. I came across um, a great prayer from an elderly person just the other day um, who prayed very much of a New Year's uh, prayer. And uh, this person prayed, um, God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked the good fortune to run into the ones that I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. I like that. And there's also another, another prayer that I saw, the great New Year's prayer. Dear God, make this, my prayer for this coming year is a fat bank account and a thin body, but please don't mix them up like you did last year. Some good prayers there. Last week uh, in our service here on Sunday, we had a great service, um, which we've done now for many, many years. It's the Looking Back, Looking Forward service. And uh, eight of our church family uh, members uh, shared with us their testimonies, looking back at last year and uh, God's faithfulness and the goodness of God, and then looking forward with prayer and hope in their hearts, their aspirations, spiritual aspirations for this uh, coming year. And this morning, I'd like to uh, continue a little bit on that theme of last week, of looking back, looking forward, by talking about uh, remembering and forgetting, or forgetting and remembering. And I've got three verses I'd like us to share this morning, three from the uh, prophecy of Isaiah, uh, two verses taken from Isaiah chapter 43 and another from chapter 46. Let me put them on screen for you. Chapter 43, verse 18 and 19. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And then three chapters on in chapter 46, verse 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Now at face value, you're probably already spotting the obvious. Those two verses appear at face value to contradict uh, each other. One is saying to remember the former things, and the other verse is, to say, is saying to forget the former things. And since I cannot believe that Isaiah had forgotten what he had written just three chapters earlier on, there must be some other ex explanation. And I'll come on to that in a moment's time. But first of all, Let's try to understand a little bit of the context of what's going on here in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah was considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of the Old Testament prophets. A courageous man who was calling the nation of Judah back to follow the Lord. You see, their faith had become, well, it was... It was a form of religion. Their religion was all about externals. It was about religious ceremonies and rituals. 
and their hearts had turned far from God, and Isaiah the prophet was coming along and calling them back into true worship with the true God. It's really interesting, the book of Isaiah. Incidentally, it has the same number of chapters as the Bible has books, 66. And just like the Bible, which is split into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament, the book of Isaiah is also split into two parts. <coughs> Quite incredibly, just as the Bible is split as a 39-27 divide, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, Isaiah also is split in a similar way. The first section of Isaiah takes us up right to the end of chapter 39, and then in chapter 40, verse 1, is a turning point, and the last 27 chapters are altogether different to the, what we read in the first 39 chapters. In fact, so different are those latter chapters that some theologians think that they were written by someone else. There's more. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are very Old Testament-like, full of denunciations, full of God's judgment, that God is going to judge His people. And it's quite hard reading, actually, you know, this judgment, this, this harsh condemnation of the people. But the second section of Isaiah is amazingly New Testament-like. The prophet speaks of God's forgiveness, speaks words of comfort and hope, and the difference between the first part and the second part of Isaiah is almost the difference between night and morning. Now, the verses that I've put on screen for you today are part, as you can see, of the second uh, section of Isaiah. And Isaiah desires to remind the people of Judah that although they will be judged for their sins, and there is coming a time that they will be slaves to Babylon. Babylon was the superpower of the day, the world's superpower. They were not going to be enslaved forever. And following the time of exile in Babylon, the people of God would come back and experience future blessings and that God is going to do a new thing with them. So coming back to these verses on screen, how, therefore, were they to remember the former things and forget the former things. How does that work? And a really, really important question for us today is what does that mean? What is it that I can take away this morning from Elim Church Tamworth with me from these passages? Well, first of all, in Isaiah 43, the Lord through Isaiah is encouraging Judah to forget the former things because he, God, is going to do something even more amazing amongst them than he has done in the past. Now each year, and God had commanded this, each year the Jews had, and still do, celebrate Passover. And they remember the great deliverance of Egypt in the days of Moses, the way that God saved the people and rescued them um, through the, the Red Sea and then provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years afterwards, delivering them safely through into the, the promised land that he had promised them. But Isaiah is saying here that this deliverance that he promises them is actually nothing compared to what he is going to do in the future. 
The past miracles in the Exodus, they were fantastic. They were awesome. They were wonderful. But they're going to be small fry compared to what God will do in the future. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past that God is going to do a new thing among you. Now, obviously, we've got the benefit of hindsight, haven't we? We know what God did and the way that he brought this uh, deliverance to Judah. And uh, the deliverance was that he brought his people back from the, uh, being slaves in the nation of Babylon and rescued them, much in the same way as he rescued them probably about 600 years before that, when they were slaves to the Egyptians. But this deliverance, this new thing that God promised them, was also, I think, a reference to the Messiah who was yet to come, Jesus, that God delivered them and us, not only, in a sense, from their tyranny of enslavement, but has released all of us from the, the tyranny of sin. And Isaiah is full of these wonderful passages about the Messiah who is to come. Read Isaiah 53. An amazing, one of the great chapters in the Bible, 700 years before Jesus, which speaks of the Messiah who was yet to come. So God, through Isaiah, was essentially telling them, you thought that deliverance from Egypt was wonderful. It was. But you've not seen anything yet. That's essentially what he is saying there. I have planned, what I have planned for you for the future will outshine the past glories. And then we come on to chapter 46. God instructs them now to remember the former things. Forget the former things in 43. Remember the former things in 46. And Isaiah is here encouraging them not to have short memories. And to, yes, remember the great miracles of yesteryear. Remember the things that God did for them. Reflect on his power. Remind themselves of the kind of God that he is, a God who is worthy of worship, a God who is great in all of his ways. And basically, by giving these two texts, what God is saying to them was that there is a right way and a wrong way to look back. And that's the, the thing that I just want to bring to you this morning. There is a right way and a wrong way to look back. Isaiah was essentially teaching them and encouraging them to learn from the past, but do not live in the past. He was inviting them to draw lessons from days gone by, but don't dwell in those times. Essentially, honor the past, but also embrace the future. And I think that that is uh, some pretty good advice as we approach the new year, 2020, as we approach, it's not only a new year, it's a new decade. And I'm sure I've told you this story before, but um, the first time, uh, the first church that I served following theological training in the 1980s was hampered by many people in that church living in the past. Uh, they often in that church spoke of past glories, how things used to be. The days when we had the crowds and the healings and the great miracles and the impact on the city. And there's no getting around it. They were incredible days because even when I went there in the mid to late 80s, we had a Sunday school. Bust, children bust in from all over the town. 
uh, of about 400 children on a Sunday afternoon. Can you imagine that? What do you think about that one, Brenda? Just, whoa. Astonishing. But before that time, it was even more amazing. You see, what had happened was that a former minister had been in that church for 35 years. His name was Percy Stanley Brewster. His friends referred to him as P.S., the initials, the initials of his Christian names. Now, P.S. was a great man. He served well. He was certainly God's man. He was a man who was ahead of his times, a man who brought many people into the kingdom of God. He was a real evangelist. He was a, a guy who had planted many church congregations. And there are many ch Elim churches today that were started by this, this guy, P.S. Brewster. But the majority of the church congregation, when I went to this church, continued to live in his shadow. He had passed on from that church 13, 14 years before. And they were just wanting to honor his memory by preserving the church, how he had left it those years before, not realizing that if he was still around, the church would have probably moved forward with him because he was a man who was ahead of his time. And the congregation I, needed, I, I, I believe needed to forget the, the former things, the past glories, and to move on. And thankfully they did, eventually, eventually. And they became a vibrant church, and they are today a vibrant church, which is serving the purposes of God in many exciting ways in the city of Cardiff. And I thank God also for what he has done amongst us in Tamworth Elim over the last couple of decades. And if you are fairly new today to our church family here, and I know that as I look around, there are many of you who have uh, decided to call this church your own church over the, the last few months. It may be that you don't know our stories. There are many great stories of God's faithfulness and divine provision. The way that the Holy Spirit guided us and led us and the way that we chose as a very small congregation just to be obedient to the Lord's leading. And um, personally, I love talking about the way that the Lord has moved us in those times. And as many of you know, um, just earlier on last year, Julie and I wrote a book <coughs> entitled Grace and Glory, which is the story essentially of our church here in Tamworth. And we've been encouraged hugely, actually, by many of you who've come back and say that you've been very inspired by it and people throughout the UK who've been uh, inspired for it. But initially, we wrote the book um, essentially to ins inspire Christians, but also particularly uh, those who are church leaders. But we've heard responses from a number of people without faith without uh, a, a Christian faith that we have, that they've said that grace and glory has touched them very, very deeply. Just this week, um, Julie and I received an email from an old friend who by our own confession had no faith at all, uh, no religion, as she put it, but found herself shedding tears as she read our story. That wasn't tears of boredom, I don't think. I hope not anyway. <laughs> but tears that she found our story. And it's not just our story, it's our story. That she f just came to a point of tears and that she was touched very, very deeply. 
and said that it had opened up her mind by reading this to the possibility of faith. So what I would say to you folks is I know that many of you got a copy of this uh, towards the end of the year. Maybe a good news, good, uh, a New Year's resolution, if you've not read it yet, read it, please. And then after you've read it, pass it on to someone else. You never know the good that you might do. And say, this is our church. Have a read, see what you think. And see what God does in those things, in our faithfulness, in our just reaching out to our friends and family. Sorry, I've gone a long way around just to come back to what I was actually saying. And my point was this, as wonderful as those stories are, and they are wonderful, I personally have no desire to live in them. Catch that for a moment. They're wonderful stories, but I have no desire whatsoever to live in those stories. I admit I often draw from them. There are times when Julie and I often speak of, wow, you remember when that happened? Wasn't that absolutely brilliant? And sometimes they're great stories and sometimes they're sad stories and sometimes they're stories of great inspiration. We draw from the past. But since he is the same God who is yesterday, today and forever, from those stories, they enable us to believe that God can do great things again in our lives that we can add to the stories of yesteryear. And the thing that I often remind myself of is that God loves to use foolish and frail people like me and like us together, because we're all a little bit foolish and frail, aren't we, really, when you look at it. And that God chooses to use the likes of us to do his work. And let's be honest, if God can choose to use us, he can use anyone. You know, it's always good to draw lessons from the past. But I also want to truly get across to you this morning, that was then. That was then. It was exciting. It's been a wonderful journey. But we're at a different place now. And Dan was saying earlier on that um, in two weeks' time, we're going to be sharing a morning with you for our vision for 2020, a couple of weeks' time. And we just want to talk to you about what God has placed on our hearts for that. But our prayer right at the start of this year is, Lord, do something new. Do something new. Show us, Lord, what your heart is. Show us what you are wanting us to do. Lord, give us the keys of the kingdom that we might unlock our community and our town with the good news of Jesus. One last thought. You may say, my word, Steve, you've not been 40 minutes. What's going on here? <laughs> no. One last thought, and then I'm going to come into land. Forget the former things. Remember the former things. Two phrases that certainly apply to us as a church congregation. But I also believe that they apply to us individually as Christians. So let me firstly suggest a few former things that we need to remember as we take into this year. 
And I'm speaking now not of us as a church, I'm speaking of you as individuals, okay? What do we need to remember? Well, firstly, the ways that the Lord has provided for you in the past. I want you this morning to take those things with you into this new year. Take those memories, how God has met your needs, financial, spiritual, emotional, that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the God who provides, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I remember as a young Christian, I remember the ways that the Lord quite remarkably met our financial needs as a young family. Very early on, that taught me that God could be trusted. And those lessons I learned very, very early in my Christian journey. And there are other lessons that the Lord teaches us. Lessons that he can be trusted in all things. Second thing to remember is the way that the Lord has used you. You know, sometimes we get discouraged. We get disillusioned. We take our eyes off Jesus. We get disheartened. There are those times, I'm sure, that we've all experienced them when we are not full of faith, when we are not um, firing on all cylinders spiritually. I don't know if you ever feel like that. Maybe it's only me. I don't know. Take encouragement. As you look back, take encouragement at the ways that the Lord has used you previously and that he promises never to leave us or forsake us. Take encouragement that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Why did he do that? So that no flesh may glory in his presence, that he gets all the glory and the praise. Thirdly, Those, remind yourself of those times when you heard God's voice and you lived closely to him. Remind yourself of those times when God was so tangible amongst you. Remind yourself of those times when you truly trusted Jesus so implicitly. It might have been in the earlier days of your journey of faith. Maybe in some special occasion during your Christian life, the way that God answered those prayers. Remind yourself of those things. Fourthly, remind yourself of God's grace. We have a saying here, taken from Philip Yancey, don't we? That there is nothing that you can do to cause God to love you more than he does. And there is nothing you can do to cause God to love you less than he does. That is God's grace, his wonderful, wonderful grace. And that is something which I often feed my heart with. I let that truth encourage me and motivate me. That nothing encourages me more than that thing of God's grace, that, that truth of God's grace. That there is nothing I can do to cause God to love me more. There is nothing I can do to cause God to love me less than he does. His grace is unmerited, unearned just utterly astonishing, unending love. And I always come back to filling my heart and mind with God's grace. Four things there to remember as we approach 2020. But let me just suggest a couple of things as well that we need to forget this year. And I think it's so important to get this right because there are many things that come into our lives that actually hinder 
our walk with the Lord. They get in the way. They weigh us down. They trip us up. They enslave us. They take away our freedom and our joy in Jesus. So let me encourage you with two things. Forget your failures. Some of you here today might look back with a measure of anguish on the way that you let yourself down or the way that you let the law down, let others down around you. You might feel weighed down with guilt, bent over with shame, unable to forgive yourself. Well, what I want you to do this morning is remember what Paul says, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That is what you need to remember, not your failures. I want to encourage you this morning to see yourselves as God sees you, that you are his child, forgiven, free, adopted into his family, that he is a God of new starts. And I want you to forget your past hurts. Don't grieve, nurse that grievance. Don't nurse that grievance. Move on. Don't allow your past hurts to spoil your present. You see, our past sometimes can remove the peace that we experience now in our lives. It was Nelson Mandela who once said, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemies. You know, we see a little bit of that. We know that that's true, don't we? And we feel that if we uh, have something against someone else, that there's some unforgiveness towards them, then that bitterness and resentment grows in our hearts. And we're thinking, well, if I let go, I'm letting them off the hook. But that's not the case. And it's like that. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemies. It imprisons our hearts. It suffocates our spiritual lives. There's certainly an, uh, an irony in the words that we've been looking at this morning of both forgetting the past and also remembering the past. The God who has been faithful and true and steadfast and unwavering to you is also the God who desires to do new things amongst us and in us and for us and through us. So, honor the past, but embrace the future. Learn from the past. Don't live in it. Draw lessons from the past, but don't dwell in them. Carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day. And honor God for the extension of his kingdom. And let me just leave you with the words of William Carey, words that you know very, very well. William Carey was the father of modern mission who said on many occasions, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Guys, would you like to come back? Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Just open our hearts. What's the Lord saying to us today? What's the Lord saying to us today?
one of those things that he is calling us to forget. Other things in our lives, past failures, ways that we've let the Lord down, let ourselves down. Those past hurts. Maybe it's a, another person in your family. Someone who once was a friend. Perhaps someone even in your church family. What are we to do with those past hurts? Well, the Lord desires that we're not pulled down with them any longer. Just let them go. Release. And know his release and his forgiveness as we forgive others. This morning, maybe for some of you, you need to just fill your heart once again with the goodness and the love and the forgiveness and the, the joy of the Lord. To remember those good things. It may be that you were in a place this morning that you weren't at a few years ago. Things have just seemed to have dropped out of your Christian life. You don't seem to be at that same place once you were, excuse the expression, cooking on gas. But today, you can barely pull yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning to get to worship with other Christians. And the Lord just, I believe, is just encouraging you this morning to remember the good things. Remember the good times. Remember that He has got plans and a purpose for you in your life. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who is great and wonderful and awesome. As we've heard already this morning, you are the one who is the light who comes into our darkness and dispels it. And Lord, for those, Lord, in this place today, I just pray for those who are suffering darkness in whatever form that might look like, whether it's anxiety or marital problems or financial issues or not walking as they once did in your light or a thousand and one other things. I just pray, Lord, that there will be that moment again today, right at the start of the new year, that they will trust in you. And that, Lord, that they might be so aware that you are a God who loves them and has stayed with them, that you are a refuge and a strength and an ever-present help in trouble, that you are the God who is with them through thick and thin. The God who has seen them through past days is the God who will be with them through 2020. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will also give us, as a congregation and also as individuals, that hope in our hearts that we will see you move in mighty ways in our lives and in the life of this church fellowship that seeks to introduce others, to declare the, the wonder of the gospel and introduce others to Jesus, our Jesus. Help us, Lord, in these things we pray. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Please stay standing. Thank you.